In this program, we interview Chris Van Berg. Now, Chris has made the study of nutrition one of his life's passions, but not just any old nutrition. Chris's speciality boils down to how we can use food not only as a great way to give us good nutrition, but also use it as medicine to heal us when we're not feeling 100%. He's also extremely knowledgeable about GMOs and how they affect our bodies, as well as offering us useful information and advice that we can use now about foods that we can buy in the store today that will help us to lead healthier and better lives. So let's join Alan and Chris in the studio now and find out more about what we need to know in order to eat more healthily. Good morning, Christopher Enberg, and thank you for being on the Local Paleo Show. Glad to be here. So I wanted to give a little background on how we met. You and I met at the uh, Austin March against Monsanto last May. I was impressed by what you had to say and wanted to ask your opinion on the paleo lifestyle and GMOs. So welcome to the show. But first I wanted to ask you, can you tell us a little about your professional background in your health field? Sure. I started uh, really kind of in the fitness world, just understanding fitness diets and helping people with weight loss and body fat management. Um, and then my mother got sick and I had some other family members that were really with some chronic illness. I we think we can address that later, but it really got me interested in, you know, healthier aspects of life and food, uh, more so than eating for body fat manipulation. And I really started to understand the power of food um, when I started to help people. So for the last seven or eight years, um, I study different, I've got a couple of different nutrition certifications, probably most notably is a Institute for Integrated Nutrition. It's one of the biggest nutrition schools in the world. Um, but I've studied disease, disease reversal nutrition. I've studied uh, sports and conditioning nutrition. Um, and then most recently, I've also studied um, counseling aspects because I realized you can help people with food all day long, but if you don't help them with their head and their mind and their thinking, um, you, you're only helping addressing a small percentage of the, pop, the problem. So I help people with um, conscious language, the way they speak, body language, um, guidelines, goals, your priorities, mindset, you know, spirituality, um, and all the life coaching sort of aspects around counseling um, because that really helps somebody with their overall health. So how did you come to, uh, to the paleo? Did you um, actually discover the paleo diet recently or is this uh, something you've been practicing for, for a while? No, so I have uh, known about the paleo diet for about four plus years. Um, I've probably studied a hundred different dietary theories and, um, and you know, one of the things that rings true is there's a lot of similarities with the really good diets, right? And they all just have different practices that go involved in them. And, um, and so, so paleo, just from a success rate, uh, how it affects your body fat and your performance and your energy levels, uh, from a health perspective and the way that you do it, um, it has really made me a big promoter of, of the paleo lifestyle. Right. I, um, from the interviews we've had so far, I'm seeing a pattern that uh, like uh, whether it's Mark Sisson or uh, Rob Wolf, the uh, athletes that were very strong and powerful, and but they also were in very bad health. And when they discovered the diet side of 
how to get better, then the whole thing changed for them. Uh, did you have a similar experience? Yes, yeah, so especially in the fitness and athletic world, um, you know, they beat you in with this protein, 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 but they don't talk about the source. And, um, and if you don't pay attention to the source of your food, you're missing a big, big overall picture of your overall health. Uh, I would also talk about the acidic and alkaline balance in the diet. And when uh, people in that fitness world do high percent of focus and just animal protein, they're not eating enough vegetables, they're not eating the right types of foods, their body generally gets acidic over time, which uh, dehydrates them and, and makes them less of a performing athlete. Can you uh, expand on that? Can you explain those that balance and how it works and doesn't work? Yeah, so it's a, it's a complicated thing because we don't really have a way to test for it. Um, the only current ways to test your pH is by you know, testing saliva or urine samples. Um, and you really just get a baseline. So you test it over a, period, a long period of time and compare that to the averages of other people. So it's a very hard thing to necessarily test, but what you do necessarily have to understand is that your blood has a constant pH, 7.3, 1, whatever, and it can't really adjust in any way, but your body has self-defense mechanisms that keep it within that range, like the calcium deposits in your bones can, can help you maintain it. Um, but what a lot of people don't understand is that your, your, your body is supposed to be 70% water. Well, that water can have a pH. And there are so many acidic diseases that we know about um, that are linked to specifically your body being more acidic. Now, it's not something that's really studied in Western medicine. However, it is documented in Western medicine journals. And what is going on is, you know, if that pH is acidic in your body, then the minerals that you're absorbing are not the good ones. You're not absorbing the good vitamins. You're not absorbing them. And, and your body becomes less proficient or less efficient at what it does. Um, and so you know, it, depleting your body when your body's acidic of, osteo, of, of calcium in your bones, it depletes your tendons and your, um, your uh, cartilage. One of those things that can happen is, you know, that's why you see professional athletes sometimes and all of a sudden hamstrings and tendons pop when they weren't even had any impact. Um, and that's because they're not providing their body with the right minerals to be able to rebuild the, the damage from acidity. I mean, our bodies naturally produce acidity anyway, right? We flush acidity through urine, we flush acidity by even exhaling. Um, but the problem is, is if you are doing too much of one thing, too much acidity over a current on a daily basis, it's more than your body can um, expel, and it, your body starts to suffer from acidic uh, symptoms. Right, right. I also understand that if your body is too acidic, uh it doesn't allow your immune system to function properly. Yeah, we call it uh, homeostasis. Is when your body is a naturally high pH like it's supposed to, um, your body is able to function, absorb the right vitamins and minerals, your immune system is properly functioning. There's a lot of systems that start to shut down when your body becomes acidic. Right. So on the food end, how would you, do you have suggestions how to balance your pH from the food uh, perspective? Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of those things that you're supposed to have balance. You're not supposed to have an all-acidic diet or an all-alkaline diet. I would say 60-40, which is alkaline versus acidic. Uh, if you are out of alignment, 80-20. The way you know what foods are is we've done a lot of studies basically off what somebody eats and then their urine um, extricates. So we can understand what foods affect you both positively and negatively from an acidic or alkaline state. So 
just to give you some basis, I mean, you could say generally most animal proteins are acidic by nature, especially because the amount of hydrochloric acid that your body has to break down and what your body has to do to absorb those minerals. Uh, most fruits and vegetables are generally alkaline. Now, that's not the case for all, um, and a lot of people confuse some of them. So I'll give you an example, uh, a lemon. A lemon is very high in citric acid, but that doesn't make it necessarily acidic. It actually metabolizes alkaline, so it's actually one of the most alkaline-based fruits. Um, but you know, this can be cranberries, which can actually be acidic when your body digests. So there's some lists that you can get uh, online, um, or you can sign up with with uh, some of my information that I send out, and then you know we send that out. But uh, it's good to understand and create balance in your diet. Right, right. Uh, and I will say a little side note, which is. Um, fluids and fluids uh, are very important from a acidic and alkaline standpoint because what most people don't understand is they wash directly into your intestines and that's different than the food that you eat which goes through the normal digestion process um, and so you know things like carbonated beverages uh, they have such a such a low acidic pH that they're actually causing a lot of damage to your body and um, it's one of the lesser addressed but one of the worst things nutritionally that you Right. One uh, one of my routine is uh, I always have a squeeze of lemon in my water. It's, yeah. a, it's just a it, it's a refreshing drink. It's simple. It's cheap, and it balances your alkaline. You know. There's a, there's a lots of ways to do that. The lemon's good. Making soda's pretty good. Um, you know. So there's lots of ways to just drink alkaline-based water, which is the, uh, just a natural way to help you flush natural acidity. Mm. Right. So moving on to uh, our favorite subject, GMOs. Um, can you tell us, from your professional point of view, can you tell us what GMOs are? Sure. So uh, a genetically modified food is basically a food where you know we have wanted to create the DNA from some other source injected into the plant to give it some sort of trait that makes it more favorable um, to farmers or to companies to produce better crops is the goal of this. Um, the problem is you're messing with DNA strands um, and it, it, it affects the plant in a different way. So it might still look the same, but now the, the plant does not act the same. So you know, just from a high level, that's sort of what a genetically modified food is. Right. Can you give us some uh, specific uh, example for you? Um, sure. So there's, uh, there's two main uh, GMO foods that are in production, although there's quite a few that have been created. The two biggest ones are what they call uh, uh, Roundup Ready. And what Roundup Ready is, is um, Roundup is a commercial grade herbicide that, uh, that contains a lot of somewhat dangerous products in it, but uh, ingredients. Um, but what they've done is they've manipulated the plant so it's not affected like the weeds will be affected or the earth, the, you know. And, and, um, and what, the, what the Roundup does is it absorbs into the plant's root system and it suffocates them, keeps them from absorbing minerals or vitamins out of the ground, which ends up killing the weeds. So what they've done is they've made the plants, um, these, these crops, immune to it. So it actually absorbs the glyphosates into the system and it doesn't stop or kill the production. So the glyphosates actually end up into the food. The Roundup actually ends up into the food. Right. Um, which, means, the other one is, which means we absorb it as well. Correct. So it's, so it's not something you can wash off. It's something that you actually are, are eating. Um, and, uh, and there's some inert ingredients in there that cause a lot of cellular damage. Uh, and published studies. 
So it's, it's good to be aware of that kind of thing. The other one is Bt toxin. Bt toxin is a pesticide um, that now we've manipulated the plant by uh, creating a bacteria that grows within to the plant. Um, so it's a plant-produced bacteria that is causing um, to kill the bugs. It causes their stomach to explode. And it's supposed to be gone by the time we eat the food. Uh, the problem is, is that's not show, true. It's showing up in our urine, it's showing up in our breast milk, it's showing up um, in the things. And the BG toxin is definitely peer-reviewed studies that have linked to a lot of cellular damage as well. Well, when we absorb either form of genetically engineered uh, foods, how does it affect your health potentially? Sure. So, so there's, uh, there's two aspects to that, right? Um, if we're talking about Roundup Ready or BD Toxin, is now are we absorbing by eating these foods? We're absorbing Roundup, and we're absorbing BT Toxin, both, you know, bad for our health. Uh, and then there's the other half, which is we are changing the plant's DNA. And when we change the plant's DNA, our body has been eating meat, have been eating these plants for thousands of years, right? And now it's making it unrecognizable by the body, which is causing our allergies to skyrocket more than they ever have before. Corn and soy especially are just, they weren't, they didn't even used to be on the allergy list, and now they're top five, right? They're two of the top five. So something in the genetic modif modification of the plant is also making it a higher food allergen. Yeah, there's also another argument that uh, because glyphosate, which is uh, the active ingredient in Roundup, is uh, an antibiotics, what it does, it targets also the friendly bacteria in our gut and allows the not-so-friendly bacteria to thrive and, and grow and eventually poke holes into all your intestine and create the leaky gut syndrome, which is... Yeah, you know, so the, to, yeah, to address... Yes. Yeah, so definitely to address that, the, you know, most people don't even know what leaky gut syndrome is, but what to explain what leaky gut system is, you're supposed to have uh, trillions of basically bacteria in your digestive system, and you're supposed to have more good bacteria than bad bacteria, because this is how you break down food and absorb the vitamins and minerals. Uh, the, the problem is, is people take antibiotics, and we get antibiotics through our food, or we get antibiotics through, you know, through what's again GMOs. And if you are destroying the good bacteria, the bad bacteria is what's too hard to take over. Now, the problem is, is what happens is when you start to digest food, um, some food doesn't get digested all the way. And it gets close to the cell walls and the intestinal walls, and it absorbs into your bloodstream as undigested food. Now, your body doesn't know what undigested food is, so your immune system attacks it. And that makes it, one, an allergen. Two, your immune system has memory, so it will now be an allergen for multiple years to come. And so what, what, uh, what the dangers of that are is what is making your immune system hyperactive, uh, it's destroying your intestinal walls, um, and it's causing you to have you know, all sorts of symptoms that you've never really had before. And if it doesn't cause you symptoms now, it will cause you symptoms down the road. Right, right, including uh, typically uh, inflammations, uh, um, Crohn disease, uh, IBS, all those kind of digestive uh, gut issues. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's funny. Um, listen, I have two gastrointestinal doctors that are clients. Okay, and they learned in school that basically food had no impact to these diseases. These diseases were caused by bacteria 
where these diseases were caused by genetic manipulation, and that's why there's only drugs to treat them. And they're not taught about food at all. Even gastrointestinal knockers, right, are the, the system responsible for digesting of food, and yet they don't believe food is related. Um, and, and to me, that's, I mean, we won't even address what that is, but, yeah. but, but the, yeah, but the fact is, and that's why our doctors are taught in school. So going to a doctor for nutritional advice is like going to your CPA for medical advice. They're not taught it, and, and, and so, does it, so, so even though they have set themselves up as the legal way to get healthy, um, they're there to practice medicine, and that's what they do, but that's not always the best way to get healthy. Right, right. And what they don't seem to realize, and, and you and I, we, we all know, is that uh, a healthy bacteria biome inside our gut is the first line of defense against uh, disease. Yeah, so, so most people don't understand that 80% uh, of your immune system is in your digestive flora, and your probiotics, your prebiotics, your digestive enzymes. And you have to understand that uh, the reason why they say wash your hands, because the bacteria that we get on our hands, if it touches our food or it gets close to our mouth or our nose, that's how bacteria enters, right? This is where most viruses or bacteria or whatever enter into our system. And so our first line of defense is right here, probiotics down into our digestive system. And they line our walls. Now the thing is, once again, we want to talk about the acidic and alkaline-based conversation, is these systems have to live in an alkaline-based environment. So flushing high amounts of acidity kills them. Uh, taking antibiotics kills them, and if you don't repair or take foods that are high in probiotics and allow them to, to replenish, you have a very weak immune system, and you probably get sick on a very you know, yearly basis or whatever. I haven't had to go see a doctor for sickness in probably 10 years. Yeah, more than that. Yeah. Uh, and Mark, I think Mark has the record. How many years, Mark? No doctors? Oh, he's got to be about 35 years now, I suppose. Wow. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so here we go. I understand that you have um, like the four simplest things that you need to be healthy. Can you tell us what they are? Yeah, I would love to. Um, so uh, I'll explain how I came to this conclusion too, which is, sure. um, you know, in the fitness world, you know, people want to look a certain way, right? And the, the trainers would say, well, it's not how hard you work out. It's how do you eat, right? And so, obviously, the way you eat is more important than how often you work out, okay, for your overall health. Well, and then when I started studying food, um, I learned about water and how chronically dehydrated people were and how amazing the results could be if I just got them to stop drinking as many sodas and drink more water. And their energy level and turnaround and their calorie burn dramatically improved. But then when I was in my conversations discussing water, I always told people, you know, what's the first thing you'll die without? The question most people answer is water, but most people are so unconscious about how often they are breathing. So air is the first symptom to life. And in a lot of Eastern cultures, Ayurvedic medicine, oxygen is it. You, there, are, there are people out there in this world that barely ever eat any food or even drink any water. They live off their air. And you have to understand, it is the most important thing. You'll die in a few minutes if you're lucky. Most people can't even hold their breath for a minute, right, without oxygen. And a few days without water, a few weeks without food. You could probably go months and months and months without ever working out, obviously, right? So it's really down the totem pole. So um, air, 
remember is the very first thing. We only breathe, but normally enough to stay conscious. So we need to breathe more. Breathing exercises, meditation, long conscious breaths, taking more oxygen. It's the way you kill viruses and bacteria and treat your body and heal is oxygen. Number two is water and the quality of your water. Water that has been contaminated by tap and, and these poor sources of these garbage bottled waters, it's not good. The quality of water and the quantity of water makes a huge difference in your overall health. Then food, less processed, more foods, the way they're grown or raised makes a huge, huge difference in the quality of your food. And then my number four is not physical exercise. My number four is consciousness. And what I mean by consciousness is awareness of your environment, awareness of your life. There are two things that are related to every single disease in Western medicine documents. It's stress and inflammation. And you have to understand that it's not physical stress. It's not like we're all carrying around 100-pound backpacks on our back all day. We're not laboring, right? It's emotional stress, okay? Our mind can make us sick or help us be healthy. And so the state of your mind, the state of your thinking, the, the negative self-talk, the constant doubt, the fear and anxiety, all that stuff has a bigger impact on your health than almost anything else you can do physically. So I agree with you. But uh, it's also a fact that our society, the way it's designed, it, it, it entices people to be stressed all the time. They're, they're, the, the stress is out there because the, the American way of life tends to be very stressful in general. I agree, and it, 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 but you could, you could make the argument that a hundred years ago life was way more stressful, but maybe the way they thought about it wasn't, or maybe it was just as bad. We really don't necessarily know. But the individual, the individual can control their own stress levels. It's just perception. So if you can change their perception about their life, realize how blessed and benefited and wonderful that their life actually is versus, I don't know if I can pay my electricity on time and freaking out about things that they cannot control, then you can change their whole perspective on the way they feel, the way they, they perceive their life and their overall outlook. That's why meditation and being uh, thankful and appreciative for what we have and not be so concerned about what we don't have. Because that's how the system is trying to get us into that mood. It's like, well, you know, my neighbor has the newest car than I have. And so you're stressing out, well, maybe I should get a new car. I need to work harder to get the money to be, get a new car, so on and so forth. And it keeps on building up. and. People need to learn to somehow detach themselves from that. Yeah, so, so uh, me, I'll, give you, I'll give you a little point of coaching, right? which is the Bible, biblically it says, thou shalt not want. Want is a state of lack. It means you don't have, and you will only be happy when you do have. So you are, by saying you want something, you're saying you are in a state of lack of not having. And, and you're creating a state of lack for your world and your environment, which means you're not happy with things that they are. That's not gratitude, okay? So, so there is desire. Desire has a different meaning than want. Desire means of the Father. It, it means that I will, I believe that there's something that um, should be given to me at some point or that I would like to have it in my life, but it's not a state of want, right? And so... Um, so understanding that you stop wanting all these different things 
and be gratitude, thankful for what you have. It's okay to desire other things, but make it in the right state of mind. And don't be happy when you get on vacation or when you get that car. Be happy right now. Be gratitude with what you have because it's better than so many others. And so it's perspective and change that can make somebody feel so much better. And I'm telling you, you get rid of that mental anguish and stress. Uh, right. A lot of this the way. Right. One of the big ones is that people don't appreciate their health until they, they're getting sick, so they don't appreciate the state of being healthy until it's too late and then they get sick and they go, my God, I need to do something about it. You know, it's um, the, one of the reasons why I got into so much of the counseling was Think about, I, you know, doing weight loss diets, right? People would come to me, oh, yeah, I want to lose 20 pounds, right? Or, hey, can you just help me do a diet? Those people had no willpower behind it. That's the reason why they have 20 pounds weight on them. They probably already knew kind of what they had to do, but, you know, so, and then there's the sick people. The sick people, especially the chronically or the terminally ill, they have their motivation now. Unfortunately, they didn't get it until it was way down the road and too late. So, you know, the, the perspective is, is once you have it, the more you educate yourself, the more you'll build that sort of tenant into your body and create something better out of it. Um, so that's why I help people with goals and priorities and all that other stuff because it's way more important than just telling somebody what to eat. Right. And speaking of which, I understand your mom uh, had um, was very sick for a while and uh, she got better through a diet? Yeah, so, um, you know, not a lot of people know or maybe they've heard about it, but uh, my mom got diagnosed with about, uh, with fibromyalgia. And, um, and so she had, it started with just like pain in her hands, probably 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and then sometimes there's pain in her feet. After a few years it progressed, it was like pain in her whole arm, uh, pain in her whole leg. After about seven or eight years, and when she thought, really got diagnosed with it, um, it was, if she had a hard day of, in the garden, she was retired basically, you know, but um, if she had a hard day working of some type, she, um, she could be bedridden for three days and excruciating pain. And the only thing the doctors do is they prescribe you painkillers and like immune suppressants because your immune is in hyperactivity kind of attacking your body, kind of like rheumatoid arthritis. And um, doctors really just don't understand this disease. There's no way to test for it. All they do is diagnose you by symptoms. Um, and so that's, that was probably seven or so years ago. And that's what really started me, kick-started me into really studying because she had a friend that had fibromyalgia for 13 years and she died from it. So I was afraid I was not going to have my mom for much longer and I wanted to do something to preserve her life for as long as possible. So I started studying everything I can, and that's when I started studying basically disease reversal nutrition, acidic and alkaline balance, and understanding the power of food. And uh, I changed my mom's diet. You know, um, you know, family doesn't always want to listen to family, so I brought in some other experts that I had been learning from, you know, and, uh, and that's just the way it goes. But she listened, and she changed. And in five months, all of her symptoms evaded. So she totally reversed her fibromyalgia. Her doctors don't believe it, right? They, they say, we're glad to see you get better. Nobody ever really gets better. We're glad to see you get better, but we don't believe you did it with food. They just don't believe it. And, and, um, and so she's off all of her medications, basically, and she's teaching dance again. She's a retired dance teacher, but now she's a director at a school again, not because of the money, but because she loves to do it so much, and she can do it without any pain. 
And to see that from where she just kind of had a hard day and she could be bedridden in pain for three days, to be able to teach dance all day long and be able to move and free and not feel pain, right? Not more than somebody else that would have a hard working day is a beautiful thing, right? Um, and, 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 and to be able to help people through that with just common things. It's not like I have to sell you supplements or some expensive product. I can tell you what to do at the grocery store and you can change and reverse your symptoms just like that. So, um, so, so that's what I've stu studied ever since. So I mean from cancer, heart disease, it doesn't really matter what the, the condition is. 95% of diseases in the world I can, I'm pretty sure I can treat with food. And, the other five percent, I'm going to figure out how. So, yeah, yeah, and so you know, we go back to the original and very common sense advice: use food as your medicine. That's right. Hippocrates is the founder of medicine, and let thy food be thy medicine. And um, and you know that most people don't even know that you know thirty, forty-five percent of prescription drugs were some phytonutrient that they discovered in some plant that had some benefit. They isolated it, patented, and created a drug out of it. And and so, but the problem is, is let's say we took one of the phytonutrients out of an apple, right? Well, there's 300 other phytonutrients in an apple, and most of them, we don't even know what they do yet. But they're in there the way God intended. And maybe if you just ate the apple, you would get the healing that you found, right? Instead of trying to take some prescription drug to meet the need. That's a perfect segue for my next question. Um, I recently read reports that the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Wilsack, is trying to lower the USD organic standards to allow more corporations to get into the $30 billion organic business. What's your opinion on that? Well, look, I don't want to, I don't like to talk negatively about people, right? just in general nature. Um, but if you know his background, you know when he was like a governor of Iowa, he was a big promoter of, of helping genetically modified um, farms. Uh, produce more food and give them more land to be able to do so. Um, and and so that's a big friend to you know, Monsanto and the genetically modified organizations. Um, the problem is, is that type of large monoculture agriculture is done by big corporate farming. And, and so what he's trying to help is the big corporate farming, who I'm sure are, could be campaign contributors, right, contributors, um, get into a space that is highly growing because of really GMO fear, right? So if you lower the standards, you can get these commercial companies that do the large scale monoculture can sell more organic. What they need to do, what they should do instead, what I what I choose for them to do if I was in that position, would be lower the cost of them to of organic farmers to be able to get certified. Don't lower the standards. The standards are what we're paying for, right? Mm. The problem is that the small community farmers that would like to be organic, that can grow organically, cannot afford the USDA organic symptoms uh, as labels, even though that they're doing the right things in their community. And so I'm not in favor of large-scale community, large monoculture agriculture. Uh, the small farmers who we should be promoting, the local farmers who we should be promoting, that's less gasoline, less travel, you know, and that's better for our communities and better for our environment. Right, right. That's why I typically um, um, suggest my clients or my followers to first buy local, support your local economy, support your local farmers, uh, help them stay on, I mean, stay alive, stay in business. 
and then and then after that, then go to the organic as far as uh, you know food choices. But uh, we should all, instead of giving our money away to big corporation, we should all look uh, support our local farmers and economy. There are there's some in in the states. We have some grocery stores that carry local specifically. Um, but what I encourage people to do is via Facebook or Google. You know, search out your local CSA, that's Community Supported Agriculture, and basically you get to know a family that probably runs their own farm, and you give them something bi-weekly, and they give you what available crops they have. And you're getting something from a local person, you're supporting a family, and you're getting, you know, high-quality food that they probably put a lot of love into. And you really can't top that, and you're cutting out a lot of middlemen, so you really get a lot of food for your money. Um, all you have to do is just think about a different way to shop. Yeah, yeah, and we are very lucky in Austin that we have quite a few of those, and uh, you know we have this uh, company that's growing leaps and bounds uh, that provides local organic products grown, you know, around Austin. Plus, we have what um, about half a dozen different farmers market during the week in Austin, right? Yeah, I love it. It's um. And, and there's some good CSAs, there's some good organic farms. Um, you know, we have that type of community here in Texas, um, which is great. Not everybody has access to this, so you, sometimes you've got to make best of the resources that you have available, but search it out. You don't know if it's there if you don't look for it. Right. So, uh, in your opinion, where do you see the anti-GMO movement in a few years? Do you think we're going to win the war? So, it's a tough question. Um, you know, because we're going against a, you know, billion dollar plus conglomerate known as the genetically modified farmers seed companies. But even bigger than that, you've got the billions and trillions of dollars that go into our agriculture, the people that use those seeds. And then even bigger than that, you have the big um, food companies that use all those types of foods that don't want a GMO label even on their boxes. Right? And if you look at the grocery store, right, you've got this 10% of the store that's your fruits and vegetables. You maybe have 10% of the store that's your meats. And then you have the other 80% of the store that's lined with rows and rows of processed packaged food that comes from the cheapest providers they can get. And so that means 80% of the grocery store would probably be labeled with a GMO label if we had it. So we're going against the industry itself. Right, and um, and so I know that awareness is growing, and that is the best possible thing we can do. Every single person that is aware will probably never buy GMOs the rest of their life, and so the more we can spread that awareness, the more we can change the industry. So I see it doing nothing but growing. Uh, social media, I believe, helps, um, and I believe that the you know once again, every person I talk to and I change their way, they change for life. And so that's one less consumer buying a genetically modified food and one more person probably buying organic or high quality local farmers markets. So um, I see it getting stronger. I know there's going to be a nice road ahead of, you know, <laughs> fluff marketing from the, the enemy. <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time, I, I'm, I'm excited about the future. I understand your concerns, uh, Chris, but also believe strongly of, in the power of the people. So my suggestion would be if we educate people, we keep them aware of what the situation is and we let them know that 
GMOs are not good for them, then eventually they will stop buying genetically engineered product and turn into either more local, more organic, or more non-GMO certified products. And eventually, as you know, business will go where the money is, and if they see that the money is now going into their coffers, they will eventually switch to non-GMO products themselves because they don't want to lose the business. I agree. You know, we have to understand, you know, 60%, 70% of the GMOs are here in America, right? We're the biggest offender, and, um, and we're probably also the least educated. So I think that because of our environment, however, once again, every person that's uh, like you or I that is educating the public, uh, every consumer that switches from GMOs to organic foods or non-GMO verified foods um, is, is one more dollar in the right bucket and going to the right people. And so the more we can change that industry change, eventually the, the, you know, the demand, the supply will change to the demand. Um, you know, yeah. some legal and some political stuff to get over, and yeah. hopefully you know, the right people step up to the plate to be able to do that. Um, and I think at time it will happen, right? 90% of the people already want GMO labeling, and so yeah. you know, we'll, we'll make a change. The people have spoken, and uh, Jeffrey Smith actually advocates not so much for the labeling. He feels that uh, if we, the people, put the pressure on the company to actually do the right thing, not because they want to, but because their pocketbook is affected, then they will be forced by the market uh, forces to change or die. Yeah. I mean, just uh, look at Monsanto quarterly report. They actually their profits drop 5% in one quarter because more and more farmers are stopping to buy the seeds, you know, uh, because they realize it's not good for them, it, it's costing them more, and uh, people uh, in this country and in foreign countries, people are refusing to buy genetically engineered products now. And, and, uh, and globally, it affects our national economy because there's so many countries now that are making it illegal or or labeled um, that it's blocking our exports. You know, have to understand that food is one of our biggest exports in the U.S. And if if food producers here in the U.S. now are losing markets because because their seed producer has got a negative connotation to it, they'll change who they buy from because they don't want to lose market share. And that right. becomes that becomes a huge shift in industry. Right. So, I mean, of all countries, China refuses to buy uh, American corn because it's genetically engineered. I mean, uh, Europe refuses to, to buy um, American meat because uh, the animals are fed genetically engineered corn and soybeans. So, I mean, there has to cost an enormous amount of money to the producers to have those markets shut down for them. That's right. And, um, and so, once again, the, the future is bright, but the company's got a lot of money. So we're gonna, it's going to be a nice long battle, maybe. But uh, but the more we educate, the quicker it'll be. That's true. But uh, they have the deep pockets, and they have the politicians in their pocket. But we have the volume power. And, you know, uh, millions of people refusing to buy their products will eventually turn the you know what uh, Jeffrey calls the tipping point. Yeah. To well, the point where. And, and I, I'm not a big huge fan necessarily of corporate crazy stuff that we do in this in this modern day age, but if we look at the stock market and we look at um, if we look at even small percentage of drops, shareholders are gonna go, what's going on? 
right? Yeah. And even that little bit of fear, uncertainty, and doubt in a company because of industry change can cause them to plummet and can make a radical shift. And they'd be great. I, I, I would love to put a big, huge short on Monsanto. Yeah, actually, uh, you, you probably would make good money. I mean, the stock itself has dropped you know, in the past uh, couple of quarters. The stock, I, I keep an eye on the market, the stocks has dropped uh, just because people are seeing the writing on the wall and they realize, uh, I better get out of this before the, the, you know, I'm losing all my money. So, you know, there's another way to influence uh, the, the corporations too. If you don't do the right thing for us, then we'll stop supporting you as a company and not, not just in buying your product, but also we we'll refuse to buy your, your stocks and, you know, so you guys pay yourself uh, huge salaries, right? <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple of things that have really sparked off while you've been talking, Chris. Very interesting, by the way. Going back to you, really. I mean, you've you've obviously been eating this way for quite a quite a while, but you didn't always eat this way, did you? No, definitely not. Um, when I was in the fitness world, um, you know, I used to drink two or three diet sodas a day because there was no calories, no sugar, so I assumed it wouldn't affect my body fat, and it didn't really. I got to very lean you know, fitness model type status um, by drinking diet sodas. Um, the problem was is I was exhausted all the time. I was just physically depleted. And, um, and, and, you know, but I didn't realize that wasn't normal, okay? And, and this is the way I, I help people perceive that, is that you feel a certain way on a daily basis, okay? You know, this is your norm. You feel this way every day. Some days you feel a little better, you feel a little worse. But the scale is like this, okay? And you don't know you're feeling down here until you start to feel better. And so I was down here. And I used to drink alcohol fairly frequently too. But this is why I think I did that was because I wasn't feeling good. I would drink alcohol. It would numb me out. And I would feel a little bit better, right? Yeah. And, and, and um, but then I changed the way I diet, I changed the way I drank, I changed my and every day for months at a time I was like, man, I feel so good, I feel so much better, I feel great. And now it doesn't like I feel great every day, that's just my norm, right? I feel way up here, but it doesn't feel like that, I just feel like this every day. But now, if I drink alcohol, it numbs me out and I come back down. And I don't feel good anymore. I don't enjoy it. It takes me away from sobriety because I feel so good in sobriety. And so I believe that's why we have such a medicated, right, um, society because people don't feel good. And their relative norm is way down here that doesn't feel good. And, and if they can change the way they eat and they drink and they feel better, then they won't have to be, or they don't. They won't choose to be medicated to make themselves feel a little bit better, because sobriety can feel really good, mm. but most people aren't aware. Okay, so I mean, you, you've obviously covered a couple of things there, but the, the real reason I've asked you that question is, what, what is the biggest change that you've noticed in in you since you changed the way you eat? Sure. So I think actually the way I look. <laughs> so, um, and I'll say that. I mean, I started started studying this six years ago. Uh, if you ask most of my friends, I look younger now than I did six years ago. And 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 that's you know most people don't reverse their aging, but in certain aspects you definitely can. 
And so, so my energy levels, the way I feel, the way I look is way better than I did when I had that different type of diet. Um, and for me, I wasn't chronically ill or sick. I was pretty great shape. But my, but, but the, you know, there's a study that says that one percent of hydration equals four percent of athletic performance. So even though I'm physically look very much the same, I'm much better of an athlete as a person than I ever was before. Um, the biggest changes in people are the ones that I find that are sick or terminally ill and now have life abundantly um, mm -hmm. because of the change. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. Now, now, sticking on the way that food um, can change us, I mean, you've said it makes your biggest result is the way you look younger. So it's obviously affected your body in positive ways. Coupling that with the great improvement you saw in your mum's health, both all of those are physical. Do you think a change in a diet towards a cleaner, um, healthier diet can also affect people who've got things like depression, um, mental instability, emotional problems, and that sort of thing? Yeah, so let's talk about it in a couple different aspects. Um, one, does food change the way you feel? Well, absolutely. But one in four American women are on antidepressants. But that could be just from simply a lack of dopamine uh, and the right cholesterol in their bodies to produce the correct hormones and chemical chemistries. So from a chemistry perspective, absolutely. You change what you eat. You change the, be able to, the neurological chemicals you produce from eating the right foods. Absolutely change the way you feel, the way you um, think the way you consciously feel and the, all the brain chemistry you need to feel good or feel positive. So first, there's that impact. Two, there's the impact of overall affecting your energy levels, right? So eating mm -hmm. the right things, having more energy to get things done, feeling more successful in your life by having more energy is another positive impact abound. Um, and so, you know, I, I, not to be biblical all day, right? But there's also the Holy Trinity, right? And the Holy Trinity is basically body, mind, and spirit, okay? So physically taking care of your body better helps your mind perform, think, feel better, which affects your overall spirit and your energy and your soul. Right? How am I doing? So all three have a dramatic impact on each other. And so improving one really improves them all. And um, and, and the lack and the unawareness of what you put in your body affects you emotionally is is uh, is actually kind of kind of a crime against your body. Oh, there's um, my understanding is there's a saying: uh, treat your body as your temple. Yeah, and that's a, that's biblical, actually. It's a you know your body is a temple and treated as such, right? And so you know if we believe that God, peace of God, resolves in all of us, right, in our consciousness. Then why are you abusing it? Um, you should want to privilege that and take it as long as you can and have. And you, you know, we don't know that there's future lives, so you should better damn well make the best one of this you have, and not wait until you get sick, right? It's it's the things that you do on a daily basis that impact you the rest of your life, because it's those daily habits that are either improving you or destroying you slowly. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. I want to pick up another point, if I may. Um, you mentioned earlier foods that were high in probiotics and how beneficial they are. Um, can you give us a couple of specific foods that people should really start to uh, to add into their diet if they're not eating them already? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I'll give you the, the number one food, right, which is natural fermented food um, is generally the highest. You think about fermentation, it starts to produce bacteria. So there's something magical about cabbage. 
right, that it, once it starts to ferment, right, it creates these amazing billions and trillions of probiotics in just an ounce, right? And so eating a little bit of sauerkraut, or I like the Asian flair version kimchi, can dramatically improve your natural probiotics. Um, the one thing that I will say is probiotics can also grow back naturally. You don't have to add in probiotics, but you have to keep your body from being acidic to do so. So you can't flush acidic fluids, you can't eat a high acidic diet, or those probiotics won't grow back naturally. So you have to understand bacteria has its own manipulation system to grow. It's going to feed off your food, but you're going to have to do, you're going to feed it right for it to grow back naturally. Okay, so which, in that case, which foods are going to be um, going to create a pro alkaline environment in the gut? Um, so anything alkaline based, um, I also think that a practice of raw food eating should be taken in. Um, so nice, you know, um, you know, most people, especially in American society, we just like to cook everything, right? We like to, hey, yeah, I'll eat vegetables all the time, I stir fry them, they're delicious, right? Like, but the problem is, is our, our body, you know, if you found a, a bell pepper in nature, you wouldn't cook it, you would just eat it. And so those enzymes that we get from the raw food that uh, are destroyed when we cook it or we freeze it or we do or we manipulate it um, are vital to our probiotics and stuff growing back naturally. So first, taking a practice of raw food eating, especially if you have autoimmune symptoms. If you have your immune system is overactive, it, immune systems react to cooked food. So that's really what the raw food um, nature is. So eating all cooked food um, causes an immune response. If a percentage, like half of your meal is raw food, you, you will not have such an immune response. So it will keep that immune system calm the way it's supposed to. Because um, once again, cooked food is not recognized by the body the same way. We do it to kill bacteria. You've got to remember why we do that. So understanding that um, um, not all food should be cooked. And, and eating a practice of raw food will help you alkalinize your body and help your probiotics grow. Okay, right, what would so, you say your top top five say foods um, to promote an alkaline environment would be? Um, so, well, I mean, I, I kind of it depends on it, how you want to talk about it. Would you like to talk about superfoods that can be found around the world no, or grocery? General foods that you can find in the grocery store or the yeah, so, your nearest so my, organic store. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you my my top babies. Okay, um, cucumber, one of the most alkaline based. Kind of everybody thinks it's a vegetable. It kind of is a fruit. So um, it's a cucumber. One, uh, it's one of the most alkaline vegetables we have, or fruits, whatever you want to call it. And it's also high, high in silica. Um, the studies that we know around the world, when we talk about osteoporosis, right? America has like four times the osteoporosis of some third world countries, but yet we have four times the calcium intake. So we don't have a calcium intake problem. We have an acidic problem that is depleting the calcium from our bones. The study shows we take Japanese women. Japanese women, after the age of 30, lose a percentage of one to two bone density per year. They put them on three plums a day for a year without changing anything else in their diet. A plums is the other highest food with silica. Um, that average woman in the study gained 5% bone density over the course of the year. So a high silica diet with the vitamin K is also the big kicker. You can find that in Swiss chard or fermented soy, nato panace. Um, but those are the big things. So, so number one, cucumber. Number two and three are kind of the same for different reasons. Um, asparagus. Uh, asparagus, one, if you don't know about the crop, it really takes years to grow and develop. And so I think that's one of the reasons why it's such a powerful food. 
but it's one of the number one foods for glutathione. Glutathione is a protein-based enzyme that can pass the blood-brain barrier and fight off free radicals in the brain. You know, we are all sold this antioxidant myth, but it's not about antioxidants. It's about those enzymes in our body that naturally fight off free radicals. Because you could eat, and you could eat a year's worth of fruit and not absorb enough antioxidants to fight off the free radicals you absorb that day. So it's mm. not about the antioxidants, it's about the enzymes. And so you have superoxide dislocates, catalyst, and glutathione. But glutathione is one of the best ones because it fights the free radicals in the brain. So asparagus. But lightly, lightly cook it, if at all. Okay? Um, avocado. Avocado is a, almost like one of the world's perfect foods. It's 20% fat by weight. It's loaded with glutathione. It's also got beta-cystrol, which is really amazing for your cholesterol. And I teach people a little trick about this that a lot of people don't know is that it's loaded soluble fiber. So the meat of the avocado, which is what most people eat, has about 3 grams of soluble fiber. If you have a high horsepower blender, you can blend up the seed. The seed has 12 grams of soluble fiber, and it's tasty doesn't mess with your flavor at all. And so if you eat the whole avocado, that's 15 grams of soluble fiber. Look, the bowl of, a bowl of Cheerios has an endorsement from the American Heart Association because it has one gram of soluble fiber, okay? And you can eat that with sugar and milk, which are both terrible for your cholesterol. So how they got that, I don't know. But, but think about that. One avocado is like 15 bowls of Cheerios without the, avocado, without the milk or the sugar, okay? So... Um, avocado is definitely way, way out there. The apple, um, you know, once again, I talked about the phytonutrients in the apple. Um, please get an organic apple because if you look at the dirty dozen and the bad foods with pesticides on them, they are almost at the top of the list every year. They're just doused. And so, um, so please, you know, organic apples. And, you know, they have pectin, which is one of the most amazing soluble fibers we have on the planet. Plus, they, like I said, they have like 300 other phytonutrients that do all types of amazing things. And, um, and the reason why I talk about soluble fiber a lot, I mean, it's all about the bowel movement, okay? If you've got a good, healthy bowel movement, your body's flushing toxins the way it's supposed to. You should be going multiple times a day, and your body should be able to flush that kind of stuff out. Um, let's see, number five in the normal grocery store foods uh, would probably be blueberries. Um, blueberries have a nice hard shell. Um, you don't have to buy organic, although I would recommend it. You can, because they, because they have that nice hard shell, you can actually wash them, douse them, get them fairly clean, but I would recommend it. And number two in anthocyanins, which is, um, you know, people talk about acai berry all the time. It's the number one food, but blueberries are very, very cheap second, okay, um, comparatively speaking. Um, and it's loaded with anthocyanins, which is a very powerful antioxidant, liver, kidney, um, very good for your eyes, uh, and so so that's probably my top five normal grocery store foods. Okay, well I guess we should sort of balance that up. Um, the ones that we should stay away from, the sort of the top five on the non-wanted list. Um, top five of grocery store foods that you should yeah. eat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot to pick from. Uh, look, look. Well, let's, let's make it a bit more interesting then. The top yeah. five that we shouldn't eat that many people on paleo diets think they should. Oh, okay. Well, um, so specifically for paleo, yeah, let's talk about that. Well, I'll leave it to the number one thing that I think paleo people do wrong is they are fat is okay, but the, the source of the fat is more important 
than the fat itself. So if you are going to take, you take in what the animal takes in. So if you think eating pig is good, eat what the pig eats because that's what you're eating. You're basically eating poop and dirt and crap and that's all the animals eat. I, I understand it tastes good, right? And I understand you get energy from it, but you're not taking in the good fats. You're not taking in the omega-3s, the DHAs, the EPAs. You're taking in 6s, 9s, and a bunch of other chemicals that you don't want to take in. And so the source of your fat is much better. Paleo, most people still are eating very acidic because they're eating too many animal proteins and fats and not enough vegetables. So you know, get your fats from coconut, get your fats from avocado, and, and, and you'll find that you'll get more energy out of those, um, and you also have better balance in your body. You can also get your, uh, your healthy fat from grass-fed uh, animals. In a paleo diet point of view, then, you would suggest improve the quality of the protein reduce the amount and increase the amount of fruits and vegetables, right? Yes, so you, so, you know, I understand the large focus on protein, but there are so many great vegetable-based proteins that can help you have a more balanced diet. Any vegetable that's green is generally 40% protein by weight. Might not be the amount of protein you're thinking about, but if you understand human anatomy, we take protein that we eat and we break it down into amino acids. So it's really the amino acid profile that matters more than the protein itself. And if you're eating more vegetables, you're actually taking in usually a wider amino acid profile base, and so you get more out of it. So instead of focusing on specifically grams of protein, Focus on the amount of aminos that you're taking in. When the very first time I tried a vegan diet, um, where I just drank nothing but vegetable-based and fruit smoothies for weeks, I assumed because of my protein fitness world mentality that I would lose muscle tissue because I was not eating enough protein. I wasn't adding protein substitutes, but what I found was that because I was actually taking in more amino acids, I was taking in more vegetables, I actually gained four pounds of muscle over the course of a week, which made me believe that I was actually being depleted before because I was eating cooked-based animal protein, which you actually don't get that much out of. So I'm not saying you have to do a vegan lifestyle at all. In fact, I eat meat. But, but what, I, what I, my mind was open to the realization of is that helping you have a more balance does not decrease. Eat more aminos, break down more vegetables, and have a better spectrum in both nutrients and, and, uh, and macronutrients that you're having in your body to help you get your desired results. Right. I agree with you on uh, not overcooking your, your meat in the sense of uh, there's a lot of people who do grilling and you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, there's plenty of sources of raw protein on the animal side. Uh, you can eat sushis, you can eat tartars, you can eat your meat raw as yes. long as it's coming from a good source. So, you know, if you are in a raw movement, you, a lot of people confuse raw with being vegetarian or vegan, but you can eat raw protein source as well and without having to damage them through the cooking process. Yeah, I mean, if our, if our system wasn't so broken, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's definitely lots of raw protein you can have that are quality. Um, uh, man, I love sushi, right? Um, and, you know, most people don't understand that there's so that the bacteria fear, right? Um, but let's explain it to you for a minute, right? The Japanese have been serving sushi for thousands of years, right? And they learned a long time ago that if you serve sushi without wasabi, that people were getting sick and had stomach pains and would die from it. 
but they didn't know it then that it was bacteria, but wasabi is one of the most antibacterial things we found in nature, right? So whether you add the wasabi or not, they, on pieces of sashimi, there's always a tiny bit of wasabi served with it because they don't want you to get sick, and that's why it's served with it. It's, it's not because it's a spice. It's actually because it saves your life from the bacteria of raw fish. So, there, there's, so don't be afraid of raw as long as you're eating it with the right things. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't know that sushi chefs are some of the highest trained chefs in the world and they're certainly uh, some of the most qualified particularly under the Japanese system anyway. Yeah. So where can we find more information about you and the kind of work you do? Sure, so um, I am working on, uh, I have my first book coming out probably in about a month or two. So I have a just a temporary website up right now. Um, it's called Think Great, Lose Weight. So Think Great you know, lose weight. So the purpose is, is if we get your head right, and it's all everything you might need about nutrition, balance, exercise, um, and food, mindset, goal setting, everything that all these other books lack, right? And and I and I don't mean that in a negative sense, but but people sort of pick one genre and think that's the end all be all of everything, right? Like I'll take a medicine world, right? Doctors think their way is the only way. Chiropractors think their way is the only way. Nutritionists think their way is the only way. What I'm trying to give you is the education around the holistic approach and that there's, there's a little bit of truth in everything. And if we can find a little bit of truth that works for us, there's no one perfect diet. But, but there is a perfect diet for you. And so if I can give you the education around some of these diets that are very effective like paleo, that, um, that can give somebody you know, a little bit of the healthier way to do stuff and they can find that healing and they can find that health within themselves, they're set for life because they feel they have that emotional and physical reward from it. So thinkgreatloseweight.com. Uh, my name is Chris Ramberg and, um, and I really just love to help people. So, uh, so it's, it's never been about the money for me. It's been about after I saved, I helped my mom and, and uh, I've saved so many people since then that, um, that it's my passion. It's what I'll do the rest of my life. Cool, cool. I definitely want to read your book, so I hope to get a signed copy from you, and uh, I would love to do a review on it, and we'll, we'll talk some more on the show about it, so uh, for sure. Definitely okay. want to stay up with, uh, with that site, so keep us up to date on the book and uh, when it comes out, and then I definitely want to read it, probably post a review on Amazon for you, and then, uh, then later on we can invite you back to talk about the book. It sounds great. Hope to be back soon. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for all the great information you gave us. And uh, good luck in your future endeavors. And uh, thank you for all you do. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks. 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 Thanks.